Ezekiel and to chapter 1. For those of you who maybe haven't uh, met me so far, my name's Ian Jameson, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to be here this week to open up uh, the Word of God together here at Points Pass, and very grateful for the invitation, and uh, very grateful too for the warmth of welcome that I've received, and uh, for how at home I feel amongst you. So thank you so much for that. And uh, as we turn to God's Word together, let's just come once again in prayer before him. Heavenly Father, we come uh, in the attitude of prayer with quiet hearts and we come before the open pages of thy holy word and we give thee thanks this evening, Father, for the truth and the clarity and the power of the scriptures. We thank thee, Father, for the way in which they set forth Christ in all of his beauty and majesty. And we pray this evening, Father, that by the power of thy Holy Spirit, that our eyes and our hearts would be lifted to see him in a greater degree of glory and majesty than perhaps we've seen him before. Father, we love the Lord Jesus and we ask that we might come to love him more. If there are those amongst us who have never yet accepted the Lord as their personal saviour, We pray that this evening they would see that they do need a saviour from sin and that this wonderful, glorious saviour has been provided that they might be reconciled to thee. And so, Father, we look to the Holy Spirit himself to be our teacher, to move amongst us and to make us more like him. And we pray this evening, Father, that we might be conscious of thy presence and that we might be brought to be ever more pleasing to thee day by day. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's lovely to be beginning these studies. In a sense, we began these studies with the Lord's help yesterday uh, on the Lord's Day as we looked at Ezekiel the man and at Ezekiel 1 uh, verses 1 to 3. And we identified, didn't we, uh, that we, like Ezekiel, if we know and love the Lord Jesus, if we are this evening born again and we've accepted Jesus as our saviour, we, like Ezekiel, are priests in the royal household of God priests in his royal family. Secondly, we've been entrusted with information, with, with visions of the future, in a sense, in the word of God. We've been told about the future and what's coming. Thirdly, we've been entrusted with a message for those around us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And fourthly, this is all in the context of a foreign land. If you're a Christian here this evening, then you, like me, belong to another country. Now, you belong to Northern Ireland, most of you at least, and I belong to Scotland. Uh, and yet we share the same homeland if we know and love the Saviour, and that is heaven. We're bound for the same homeland, and we're homesick for the same homeland, and we're headed uh, for that same homeland, and we're looking forward to the day when we see the Lord Jesus face to face. So we can identify with this man, Ezekiel. But let me give you a framework for how we're going to approach this book over the next few nights together in the will of God. Uh, because, of course, we can't look at the whole of Ezekiel. I think that goes without saying. Uh, 48 wonderful chapters. Uh, I'm starting with chapter 1 tonight. Don't get the idea that uh, we'll be going through it chapter by chapter. Uh, But we're going to look at highlights. Highlights in the book of Ezekiel. And even then, trying to select highlights in the book of Ezekiel is not an easy task either. But this is how I feel that I've been led in my preparation. So let me give you a framework for what we're going to explore together over the next few nights. In the will of God. First of all, tonight we're going to look at the glory of the throne in chapter 1. The glory of the throne in chapter 1. And then tomorrow, God willing, we'll look at the call of the prophet in chapters 2 and 3. The call of the prophet. Then chapter 8 is going to occupy us on our third night together the sins of the nation. The sins of the nation as we're taken into the temple of Ezekiel's day and we are shown uh, the abominations in that temple and we're shown the sins of Ezekiel's day. And then the restoration of the, of the Jews, the restoration of God's people in chapter 37. And then lastly, God willing, uh, if the Lord hasn't returned by Friday, then on Friday we'll meet together and we'll look at the glory of the future temple. Uh, so much contained in that subject, but we'll just look at a few highlights again uh, from Ezekiel 40 to 48, the glory of the future temple. There's a general rule in Bible study uh, that proves itself true time and time again that first chapters are very significant. If I was to mention the book of Hebrews to you, almost all of you perhaps would think first and foremost of Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, uh, through, the, through the prophets, etc., God has revealed himself and now revealed himself in his son. And so 
Hebrews chapter 1 is so pivotal in understanding the book of Hebrews. John chapter 1, so pivotal in understanding John's gospel. And really that pattern repeats itself throughout the scriptures. And Ezekiel is no different. And I want us to observe that tonight. Ezekiel chapter 1 is vital for understanding the whole book as it unfolds. And we're going to see just how vital in a few moments. Rebecca, uh, my wife, she came to, um, she came to my parents' house uh, for what she thought was a weekend. And four months later, she was still there. Because on the Saturday, I proposed. And on the Monday, uh, Boris imposed the lockdown. And um, so she stayed with my parents uh, for four months. She had a bag packed for a weekend. And four months later, she was still there. She was very grateful to Asda for additions to her wardrobe to uh, stretch that weekend bag into a four-month bag. And um, you'll all remember that during lockdown, our world became very small. We live in a globalized world, don't we, where something could happen in China this evening, and we'll all know about it in minutes, seconds perhaps, on our mobile devices. We can know exactly what's going on all over the world, and in fact, we can sometimes feel that we're drowning in the the, the flow of 24-hour news media. And yet, during lockdown, our world, which is so global, so cosmic, shrunk, and our worlds became our, our house, our apartment, local shop. The streets around your house, and everybody's world just shrunk. Of course, we could use Zoom and we could contact each other still, but our world became very small. And I remember one night, we saw on the news that there was going to be shooting stars. There was going to be a meteor shower that night in the skies in the north of Scotland. You were going to be able to, to see uh, shooting stars. And um, we're very fortunate that in Inverness, where I come from, the, the skies are very clear. Uh, as I'm sure they probably are here as well out in the country and uh, you can get a lovely view of these things. So that night, uh, Rebecca and I, uh, we got uh, blankets and uh, sleeping bags and we got garden chairs out and mum and dad came and joined us and we had uh, cups of tea and flasks and everything. We set ourselves up in the garden and we we waited uh, for the shooting stars to begin. And it was remarkable when it began and, and there was a first one and it came right up across the night sky, right through the plough constellation right through the night sky and it was remarkable you know because there we were in this tiny little lockdown world of our house and local walks and our shop and all of that and now we're looking up into the night sky into the cosmos and we're seeing these shooting stars that God has put in place and it was a a real tonic it was really therapeutic in in such a shrunken world of lockdown and friends that's what I want us to do this evening I want us together with Ezekiel's help and the help of the Holy Spirit to lift our eyes, to lift our eyes to the heavens, to lift our eyes to the glory of God Almighty, the glory of God Almighty. Now, we live very ordinary lives. We live very ordinary lives. We get up, we have to do the same things every day, don't we? And we have to go to the shops and we have to find car parking spaces and we live ordinary lives very uh, much of the time. And yet it does us good as God's people just every now and again with the help of the scriptures, the help of the Holy Spirit to lift our eyes and to try and catch a glimpse of the glory of God. And with God's help this evening, brothers and sisters, that's what we're going to try and do through chapter one of Ezekiel to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. Well, let me give you a structure for chapter one before we read it together, because what we'll do is there's a lot of content in chapter one. And if, I think if I was to read the whole chapter from beginning to end right now, uh, we might have to keep going over it and over it. So what I'll do is I'll give you the structure and then we'll read it in sections and we'll comment like that. So first of all, in verses 4 to 14, we're going to look at the winged creatures. The winged creatures, verses 4 to 14. Then verses 15 to 25, the wheels within wheels. The wheels within wheels. Then verses 26 and 27, the wonder of God's throne. The wonder of God's throne. And lastly, verse 28, the worship of Ezekiel. The worship of Ezekiel. So that's going to be the framework for chapter 1 of Ezekiel. Winged creatures, wheels within wheels, the wonder of God's throne and the worship of Ezekiel. So let's begin and we'll read the first Uh, section verse 4 to 14, the winged creatures. We've already dealt with verses 1 to 3, and uh, for the sake of time, we'll we'll treat that as having been dealt with, and we'll start at verse 4. And Ezekiel says, And I looked, and behold, 
a whirlwind came out of the north. A great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the colour of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also, out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the colour of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they had, and, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. And like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures. And the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Incredible. Amen. And God will add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. This really is a remarkable passage of scripture, quite unlike any other. And it is unique. It is distinct. And this evening, I want us just to take the time to let our imaginations run. Because that, I believe, is what Ezekiel wants us to do. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is doing his best to depict for us heavenly realities. Heavenly realities are being described here in pen and ink, in black and white, and we are doing our best here in 2023 to enter into the experience that Ezekiel, this man, had by the banks of the river Kibar in in exile in Babylon. He sees something of the glory and the majesty of God. And what we are seeing here is a vision of the throne of God on a a remarkable chariot. The picture is vivid, it is colourful, it is bizarre in the extreme. We do well to admit that, you know. Uh, It's not wrong to observe that this chapter is a bizarre chapter. And the images that we are encountering here are images that we just can't really get our heads around in many ways. Nobody in this room, friends, has ever seen anything like this. That's for sure. Nobody in this room has ever seen anything like this, of course, myself included. And Ezekiel had never seen anything like it before either. And with the Spirit's help, he is recording his experiences. Now, before we move on, I just want to pose two questions. Because we could get lost in the detail. We could get lost in the detail, but let's just ask ourselves two questions first and foremost. Why was he shown this? That's question one. Why was Ezekiel shown this? And secondly, why are we told this? Why are we told this? Now, I'm certain that there were visions and revelations given to Ezekiel that we don't know about, that isn't contained in Ezekiel's chapter 1 to 48. Remember, in the Gospels, we learned that the Lord Jesus Christ did many other miracles. And we're not told about them. We're told in John's Gospel about certain miracles that he did, certain things that he said, in order that we might believe that he is the Son of God. And here, Ezekiel, under the inspiration of the Spirit, lets us in to his experience of a vision of the glory of God. Now, although we're looking at the chapter in sections, I want us just to remember that uh, this is all one vision. It's not separate visions. This is all one vision of one appearance. Uh, Just turn with me to verse 28. Verse 28, because I want us to understand that this is all one vision And I believe that verse 28 is talking about everything that we're reading from verse 4 to verse 27. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 28, the last last sentence of this says, This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This was all one vision, brothers and sisters. So, why was he shown this? Why was Ezekiel, this man who was destined to be a priest, why by the river 
of Kibar, by uh, the, the banks of this river in exile. Why is he shown this vision of the glory of God? Well, it fulfills a biblical pattern. It falls into a pattern that we see time and time again in the scriptures. We could go back to Moses, couldn't we? And Moses was a shepherd. He's fled Egypt. He's in Midian. And what happens? But he encounters the true and living God in a remarkable way. You don't need me to remind you. There is this bush. And it's burning and it's crackling and and the flames are rising, but the bush is not consumed. And Moses encounters there the true and living God, I am, Yahweh, there is this God of life, this God of eternity, this God of all things. And he encounters him in this remarkable way. We could go all the way forward, couldn't we, to a man called Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus. And his life is entirely transformed and the history of the churches is really put in motion as he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he comes face to face with the risen and ascended Lord Jesus. And everything changes. Uh, We wouldn't be here tonight gathered as we are if it weren't for the events of that day. And there Paul comes face to face. Uh, Saul, who would become Paul, comes face to face with the risen Lord. There is a pattern in the scriptures that men that God is going to use, that God is going to speak to, that God is going to reveal certain things to, he has to show them something of himself. He has to reveal to them something of the glory of the Lord. And here I ask myself a question and I pass it on gently to you. What do I really know? What do I really know of the glory of God? Friends, I think I know very little, really, of the glory of God. And one day we're going to know, one day we're going to see that glory in its fullness. One day we're going to experience it and we're going to see it for what it is. Remember Peter, James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they saw something of the glory of the Lord as his raiment is transformed. And there he is in a foreshadowing of his glory, but certainly not the fullness of his glory. And it changed them forever. It marked them forever. And here we are this evening and we ask ourselves the question, what do we really know of the glory of God? Well, Ezekiel experiences this same pattern, but let's just remind ourselves of one more. Let's just take ourselves back to Isaiah and chapter 6. Isaiah and chapter 6. And verses that will be familiar to many of you. Isaiah chapter 6 and reading from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we could read on, but we'll stop there for the moment. This would go on to characterize This would go on to characterize the ministry of Isaiah. And time and time again, he would be caused to reflect back on this. The vision that he had of something of the glory of God, and it changed him and it marked him forever. I wonder, friend, if I can just ask you a personal question. Have you had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you really have had an encounter with the Lord Jesus and he really is your saviour and you really have trusted in him and you really are born again tonight, then you'll never be the same again. You will never, ever be the same again. The Bible doesn't paint a picture of, of untransformed Christians. And yet, can I ask you that question? Have you had an encounter with the Lord Jesus? Because, you know, if not, if, if the answer to that question is no, I... I don't know him. I know people who know him. I know things about him. I've read about him, I've heard about him, but no, I I don't know him personally. Then tonight you can know him personally. 
And he longs for you to know him personally. He loves you with an everlasting love and he wants to come to know you. And if you'll come to him simply in faith and trust and receive him as saviour, believing that he died on the cross for your sin and that he rose again for your justification, you will be saved and begin a life-transforming encounter with the Lord Jesus. And every true Christian here would tell you tonight, you'll never be the same again and you'll never regret it. Well, Isaiah was impacted by the holiness of God and Ezekiel was too. Perhaps the holiness of God isn't particularly emphasized as much here as it is in Isaiah. It's perhaps just the bare majesty of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. But let's turn back and have a little bit of a closer look at Ezekiel chapter 1. We posed two questions. The first was, why was he told this? Why was he shown this, rather? He was shown this to prepare him for the ministry God had for him. To turn him into a man receptive and ready to be the mouthpiece for God. To be this witness and this watchman for God. He had to be prepared. And he had to see God in something of his glory. And yet, why are we told it? Well, I would say, friends, that we're told it for the very same reason. For us as readers of the book of Ezekiel to prepare our hearts for what Ezekiel's going to bring. Now, I would be lying if I told you that Ezekiel was an easy book. I'm sure that all of you know that that's not the case. Ezekiel isn't an easy book. It's a complex book. It's a vivid book. It's a book full of pictures and prophecy. And yet, it's a wonderful book. And it's as if in chapter 1... Our hearts are being prepared. As we see something of the glory of God, our hearts are being prepared to receive what Ezekiel is going to unfold to us. It's so vivid and and so dramatic and so pictorial, and yet our hearts have been softened and readied by a picture of God in his glory. But also, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is going to be a very central theme in Ezekiel. And if you turn to chapter 10, you would find there uh, that the glory of the Lord is absolutely central. We'll turn to that in a few moments' time. And if you were to turn later on uh, into the book of Ezekiel, you'll find that the glory of the Lord then returns to the temple, having left it in chapter 10. And so the glory of the Lord is like a punctuation mark, really, in the book of Ezekiel, that time and time again, Ezekiel is brought back to reflect on this vision. Just as Isaiah did. Just as Paul did. Paul never stopped talking about what happened to him on the Damascus Road. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you'll never, ever stop wanting to tell people how it is you came to know the Lord Jesus. And how your life was transformed when you met the man of Calvary. Let's have a look at these creatures then. Let's have a look at these creatures in a bit more detail. Focusing our eyes in on these rather bizarre creatures. Now, I'm going to admit something to you here. Uh, I attempted, when I was studying Ezekiel, I had a, a, a pad and a pen, and I thought, I'm going to try and draw these creatures. Uh, I, now, I'm not a very good drawer, but I like to have a doodle and a sketch, and so I had my pen, and I thought, I'm going to try and draw this vision of the, the chariot throne of God. And, you know, I gave up. I'm going to admit that to you. I gave up very quickly. I tried to sketch out these creatures, and uh, really it was beyond me. Uh, because these pictures really are something else, aren't they? They're something from another dimension entirely. This is heavenly realities, and the curtain's being drawn back for us, and we are seeing something of heaven in the vision of Ezekiel. And we can just enjoy letting our imaginations run wild as we read these wonderful verses. So let's look at the creatures themselves. First of all, uh, look at verse 4 with me. And verse 4 just sets the context for the creatures. I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north. A whirlwind came out of the north. So we see Ezekiel, there he is, this priest. He's by the river Kibar. God's people are in exile. The situation seems hopeless. They're separated from the land of promise. But God's going to come. But God's going to come. And even so far from Jerusalem, even so far from the place of God's dwelling, that God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has not forgotten his people and he's going to speak to this one man. The man for the moment, Ezekiel. And he comes in a whirlwind. He comes in a whirlwind. Now you don't need to turn there, but let me just remind you of what took place in the book of Job. You remember the book of Job? And you remember the cries of Job in his pain and agony. You remember the taunts of his friends. You remember their bad advice and their terrible theology. 
And you remember uh, how uh, really, as soon as they opened their mouths, they ceased to be the friends that they had been when they were silent. And Job is crying out in his suffering, and God answers him. How does he answer him? Verse 1 of chapter 38 of Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Guard up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. So here, once again, centuries, centuries later, God is speaking. And he's going to speak out of the whirlwind. Now, it's fascinating to me that in all of chapter 1 of Ezekiel, we have no word from God. No word from God, only vision of God. Only a vision of God. He doesn't begin to speak to Ezekiel until chapter 2. Because God has something to impress upon Ezekiel of his glory before he's going to give him any message for the people. So this whirlwind comes, and it comes out of the north. Why the north? Why does the whirlwind come out of the north? Well, if you turn to the commentators, you'd find a number of different uh, options given. But, you know, if I just remind you of uh, some verses in Isaiah chapter 14, some verses in Isaiah chapter 14, and Isaiah 14 draws back the curtain for us on the person of Satan. And let me just read to you from verse 12. Uh, And here it's the, the condemnation, really, of Satan. And Isaiah is led to write these words, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. In the sides of the north. There was something about the north that related to the dwelling place of God. Something about the north that related to the dwelling place of God. Now, hand in hand with that goes the fact that the Babylonians were going to come, generally speaking, from the north. This invading force that, of course, bring the people of the southern kingdom into exile were going to come, generally speaking, from a a northern direction. And so here comes this whirlwind, and it comes from the north, and God is going to speak into the situation of his exiles there in Babylon. And then out of the midst of that, we find these creatures emerging. We find clouds, we find fire. We remember, of course, the two pillars in the wilderness, and we remember that God has revealed himself time and time again in clouds and in fire, revelations of God. So let's have a look at the creatures, and we bear in mind the number four. We see the number four time and time again here. There are four creatures, four living creatures. They have four faces. There are four different types of beasts, or rather three different types of beasts and and the appearance of a man. They, generally speaking, have the appearance of men, And yet they have four faces, three of which are the faces of beasts. You've got eagle and the ox and the lion. And this really encompasses all of the the created kingdoms. All of the created kingdoms. You've got the ox uh, really seen as the leader of the domestic animals. Then you've got the the eagle really seen as the king of the birds and the lion the king of beasts. And, And it really is encompassing all of God's creation. And also you've got the form of man and you've got these animal forms and I suppose really it's all of creation is bound up in these living creatures. God is the God of everything. God is the originator and and the controller and the sustainer of all things. All life comes from him. If you were to turn to um, Ezekiel chapter 10, uh, you don't have to turn there just now, but in Ezekiel chapter 10, these living creatures are referred to as cherubim. Cherubim. Angelic beings, heavenly beings, and they are real beings. They are real beings. So we're not talking here simply about something purely symbolic. We're not thinking about something purely symbolic. We're thinking about something real. And yet I would suggest that um, this depiction of of the four faces, etc., they're telling us realities about heavenly beings, They're telling us in symbolic terms realities about real heavenly beings. So we're not dealing here in fantasy. This isn't mythology. This is reality. When we think of four, we think of this world. We think of this world. There's the four corners of the earth. There's the four winds. There's the four seasons. You know, um, I was preaching down in the south of Scotland in a place called Peebles. Uh, it's a beautiful town. 
um, a spa town down in, in the borders of Scotland. And um, I was preaching at People's Evangelical Church there. And on the Sunday afternoon, I was taken for a drive and uh, we went down into this beautiful valley called the Manor Valley. Now, I was taken for a drive by Nigel up into the, the Morns on Sunday afternoon, and that was lovely. And you've got a beautiful uh, province here in Northern Ireland. It's absolutely stunning. I went up to the Silent Valley, etc. Beautiful. And uh, if you ever get the chance to go down to the borders, go to the Manor Valley. Beautiful rolling countryside. But the reason we went there was because we were taking a sister uh, there, and um, she lives in the Manor Valley, this lovely old godly sister. And I asked her her testimony as we were on the drive, and she told it to me. I'm not going to take too much time telling you it. Uh, But as I thought about this number four, I remembered her story. Because she and her husband were God-fearing people. They went to church, but they didn't know the Lord. They thought they were fine because they attended the Church of Scotland and um, they never missed a service, but they didn't know the gospel and they didn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. But her husband worked on a building site and he worked alongside a man who was a saved man. And this man said to him one day, you know, something about the Lord Jesus Christ returning. He said, you know, you must be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. And her husband said, oh, away. He said, I've never heard anything about the return of the Lord Jesus You know, he was here and he did miracles and he died on the cross and he rose again, but I've never heard anything about him coming back before. I'm sure the minister would have told us if that was true. And uh, he said, no, no, it is true. Honestly, it's in the word of God. I'll tell you what, before we finish work today, I'll give you some references. And you go home and look them up in your family Bible and you'll see that everything I'm telling you is true. It comes from the Bible. I've not made it up. Well, sure enough, he goes home and he says to his wife, he says, darling, have you ever heard about uh, this thing about Jesus returning. She said, no, no, I've not heard that before. That that can't be true. She said, the minister would have told us if that was true, uh, surely. Uh, No, we've never, no, I've never heard anything about that before. So anyway, their daughters come home from school and they say to their daughters over the dinner table, have you ever heard any of this stuff about Jesus Christ returning? And they said, oh, yes. Yes, we go to the scripture union at school and there's a lady there always telling us that Jesus Christ is returning. So they get the family Bible down from the shelf and the shake the dust off it and they open it up to the various passages that this saved man has written down and sure enough they start to read about the plain and simple truth that Jesus Christ has promised he will come back and they get to Matthew chapter 24 now uh, I don't pick apart my eschatology here because uh, they didn't know much about eschatology and they're, they're reading Matthew chapter 24 and they read the chapter there and they read the section that says that God will gather his elect from the four winds Gather his elect from the four winds. Now, in actuality, that's talking about uh, a future day and doesn't relate to uh, the church of the Lord Jesus in this dispensation. But what was the name of their house in the Manor Valley? But the four winds. That was the name of their house. The four winds. That was the plaque. on their, And there they are, the, the, the four of them in the family. And they're shaking as they read these verses about the elect being gathered from the four winds. And uh, they stopped going to the church. Well, First of all, they went down the road to the Church of Scotland and they knocked on the man's door and they said, what's all this about the Lord Jesus returning? You've never told us anything about it before. And he said, oh, just forget that. You know, that's, uh, you know, you, you don't need to look into that. You know, I, I, um, I, would, I would let you know if that was important. And they weren't satisfied with that at all. So they started to go to a Bible teaching church uh, nearby and they, all of them were saved. And I remember uh, the, end, the end result of it was that Billy Graham was coming to Edinburgh and um, she hired a minibus. And uh, she went all the way around the Manor Valley, every single house in the Manor Valley. She knocked on their doors. She says, did you know that Jesus Christ is coming back? We didn't have a clue either. The minister won't tell you. Don't go and ask him. You come with me, get in this minibus because Billy Graham believes it and he's going to preach the gospel and you come with me and get saved. And almost the whole Manor Valley got saved because she filled this minibus with people and marched them down to hear Billy Graham. And what a story that was. But you know, this four of the four faces, the four winds, the four corners of the earth, is telling us this, that God's glory fills the whole creation. God's glory fills the whole creation. And it's not limited to Jerusalem. God has said he would stake his name on Jerusalem. His eyes and his heart would always be there. But you know, God's glory was there in Babylon too. And God's glory was there for his exiles too. Well, he's a living God. The living creatures and a living God. 
If you were to go into the tabernacle, what would you find? You would find decorations, you would find uh, illustrations of living creatures, living things all around you, testifying to the fact that this is a living God, not a dead God. You go to the temples of, of, of idolatry, what do you find? Deadness everywhere. Deadness. And yet we believe in the living God, the true and the living God. Well, just look with me at the way that they moved. The way that they moved, verse 12, and they went everyone straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went and they turned not when they went. You'll find time and again that these creatures and the wheels that we'll look at in a moment, they moved straight forward, always straight forward. You know, it's possible to read too much into detail, of course, in the scriptures, but, you know, I, I couldn't escape the thought here. And the commentators uh, supplied a backup for me as I studied that, you know, God's purposes are moving forward. God's purposes are moving inexorably forward. And it could seem to an Ezekiel, it could seem to an exile at the time, where are the purposes of God because God's people are separated from the land of promise and it seems as though we'll never be back there in the land that God promised to us. What about his purposes? Where are his purposes working out? And it might be that there's a, a brother or a sister here tonight asking the same question on a personal level and saying, what about the purposes of God in my life? At the moment, everything seems to be at sea. At the moment, all I can see around me is the dark clouds and the lightning flashes of earlier in the chapter. All I can see is seemingly sort of chaos and tumult around me. What about the purposes of God? And then we see these angels, these angelic uh, cherubim, and they're moving inexorably forward. They don't turn. They move forward. And I just couldn't help uh, think of that hymn, the battle hymn of the Republic. Maybe you know it. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful, the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Marching on, inexorable, not turning, not deviating. Now let's read on from verse 15 down to verse 25 and think briefly for a moment or two about these wheels, these remarkable wheels. Now I beheld the living creatures. Behold, uh, sorry, now as I beheld the living creatures, behold one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel. And they four had one likeness in their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them four. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when these stood, uh, when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Just to pause for a moment, what are we seeing emphasized time and time again here? This is one unit. This is one unit. There is no separation, as it were, between the wheels of this chariot carrying the throne of Almighty God and these angelic cherubim, these remarkable creatures. It's all one unit, and wherever it moves, they all move. And God's truth is marching on, and it's never deviating. It goes forward, forward, forward. And the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of the terrible crystal stretching forth over their heads above and under the firmament were their wings straight, the one toward the other. Everyone had two which covered on this side, and everyone had two which covered on that side their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of an host. When they stood, they let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings." And so, friends, we hear uh, echoes here of the voice of God, uh, the noise of his speaking beginning, and yet, of course, his words don't actually begin until chapter 2 of Ezekiel. So the wheels now within wheels. We're dealing here with the wheels of the chariot of the throne of God. Now, there's so much we could say about this, and again, it would be possible to get lost in the detail. And yet, what would I want us to observe basically here? 
I would want us to see two things about the character of God. I would want us to see his omnipresence and I would want us to observe his omniscience. These wheels can go anywhere and these wheels can see everything. These wheels can go anywhere and these wheels can see anything. Now, of course, it's a, it's a bizarre, it's a grotesque picture to imagine wheels covered in four rows of eyes. It sort of makes us do somersaults in our head to try and imagine this. And yet, what's it teaching us? It's teaching us that God in his governmental purposes for this world sees all and is in all and can go anywhere. Nowhere are we beyond God. Psalm 139 teaches us that. Nowhere are we beyond him and he sees everything. And friend, tonight, if you're a sinner and if you're outside of Christ... He sees everything. You know, during lockdown, we, um, we all got used to wearing masks, didn't we? Well, maybe we didn't get used to it, but we, we just had to put up with it, didn't we? And uh, none of us enjoyed it, I'm sure, but we all got used to wearing masks. But you know, friends, we can wear masks, can't we, still, in a place like this tonight. And we can be wearing masks before each other. And, you know, we can make it look and appear and we can present a picture to our fellow Christians or to maybe we're not Christians tonight, but we still want those around us to think that we're respectable. And we put on a mask and a front and a show and a disguise. But, you know, friends, we can't pretend before God because he sees it all. He sees it all. As we look at the throne of God We see that it's supported and moved and the motion comes from these wheels which can go anywhere and they see everything. And God sees everything in you tonight. God sees everything in me. What a solemn thought that is for me. I think of the things, some of the things I've done and said and thought in these last few months and if they were the only things I'd ever done or said or thought that were wrong, they would keep me out of heaven forever. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for my sin and made it possible for me to spend eternity in heaven with him. And if tonight you're a sinner and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you too can know that for certain. But God sees everything and he's not impressed with our disguises. He's not impressed with our chicanery, with our masks. We must be honest before him. So we see these wheels within wheels. Charles Feinberg in his commentary on Ezekiel is incredibly helpful. I found it very helpful if you can buy anything by Charles Feinberg. He's very readable as well, and I would recommend him to you. He just summarizes it beautifully in this very concise statement. The government of God is orderly and controlled and progressing. The government of God is orderly. It's not chaotic. And it's controlled, and it is progressing as we see this remarkable chariot moving inexorably forward. We see this firmament, and this is really a word for this platform of of crystal, and uh, it's what we read about in Revelation chapter 4 is the glassy sea. I studied uh, theology at the University of St. Andrews, and um, it was a a liberal theology department essentially, and and God spared me and and helped me through it, and in his providence uh, that's how uh, he led me, and I ended up Uh, going through uh, that department. But it was a difficult experience as a Bible-believing Christian to go through that. But I remember there was a particular professor of Assyriology. That was his his specialization. He specialized in ancient Assyria. And he was totally godless. He he, he didn't even pretend to believe in God. He had a very monotone voice. And uh, he was a Hebrew expert. And he was talking about this expression, the glassy sea. And he was talking about how fanciful it is and how Christians cling on to it and sing about it and that really it should be rendered terrible ice. The terrible ice. And I said, I said, yes, Professor, but casting down their golden crowns around the terrible ice doesn't really have the same ring to it as around the glassy sea. Uh, you know, here we have this glassy sea in Revelation chapter 4, this beautiful vision, this beautiful vision of the throne of God and all that goes with it, all that's attendant to it. Let's begin to draw our thoughts to a close and look at verse 26 and 27, the wonder of God's throne. The wonder of God's throne. So we've seen these living creatures, we've seen the wheels within wheels, and now we turn to a sort of summary, if you like, uh, of this vision. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, 
as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the colour of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Well, here, friends, we come to, I suppose, the climax of the chapter as this vision is being summarized by Ezekiel under the Spirit's inspiration. This is the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Let me just remind you of a principle established in John's Gospel, John's Gospel in chapter 1. John's Gospel in chapter 1 and verse 18, we learn this, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, he hath uh, made him known. So no man had seen God at any time. And yet let me remind you of something that happened so much earlier in the history of God's people. And it's uh, an incident which has always captured my imagination. Let me turn you back please in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. To Exodus chapter 24. We've just read there in Ezekiel 1 uh, this Wonderful vision as the appearance of a sapphire stone and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And let me take you back to Exodus 24. Exodus 24 and I'm reading from verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And then here's a verse which I think is just absolutely stunning. Verse 10, Exodus chapter 24, verse 10. And they saw the God of Israel. Now, wait a minute, friends. I thought that that was impossible. I thought that it wasn't possible to see the God of Israel. And yet verse 10 says in black and white, doesn't it? And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. Exactly what we read in Ezekiel chapter 1. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. I don't want to get caught down this road here, but you know, it's wonderful. I've often thought, here God is being displayed again in his glory before these men, and they stop to eat and drink. They stop to eat and drink. It seems like a strange time to stop to eat and drink there upon Mount Sinai. And yet God is beginning through this nation a a program of reconciliation and redemption. And, you know, that picture of eating with them, that picture of them eating in his presence is a picture of restored fellowship beginning. What is it we do Lord's Day by Lord's Day? Is we meet together around the table of our Saviour and we take bread and wine and we eat and drink together Because it speaks of reconciled fellowship. It speaks of sinner brought back into relationship with creator. And one day we're going to eat and drink with him in his kingdom. We're going to be there at the marriage supper of the lamb and then uh, enjoy fellowship forever with him. But there in Exodus chapter 24, we see the God of Israel. Now, who did they see? Who did they see? I think they saw exactly who Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1. The Son of God himself the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Son, the Lord Jesus. No man hath seen God. Nobody has ever laid eyes on the God of Israel, on the Father himself. The only member of the Trinity ever to become visible to the human eye is the Son of God himself, the second person of the Trinity. And there was the Son of God at Mount Sinai. Now I think that's remarkable because the law was about to be given. The law that declares us as to be sinners. The law that holds up this standard of perfect, spotless righteousness uh, and brings us all to our knees in failure. And yet right there with them at that very moment was the one that would fulfill it all. And through his death on the cross of Calvary provide forgiveness and salvation for all who find themselves condemned under the law. There he was, right there at that very moment. And in the midst of their hopelessness in Babylon, there is the Lord Jesus, seated on this majestic, glorious, awesome throne, this chariot throne 
the seat of all authority. It takes us back to Daniel 7. We won't turn there for the sake of time, but it takes us back to Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and there's one like a son of man, and he comes to the Ancient of Days, and he's given this everlasting kingdom. This everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that's going to shatter all other kingdoms. And as Ezekiel, in the midst of the exile of his people, he sees this vision of the glory of God. He's going to be given information. He's going to be given visions and insight into the coming millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus. When his reign and his rule is going to be established in perfection on the face of this earth. Why do I believe so strongly in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus? Why does, uh, does David care so much about it? Why does this church hold so strongly to it? Surely it's incidental. Surely it's a side issue. Surely it's something that we should shift our focus from. But then I read in 1 Corinthians and I remember this wonderful truth. For he must reign. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. We're dealing here with nothing less, brothers and sisters, than the vindication of the Lord Jesus. My Savior came to this world and he was rejected. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And the one who deserved a crown, the only crown we gave him was a crown of thorns. And we rejected the Savior and we spat in his face. And we nailed his hands and feet to the cross. And we said to the one that God supplied, we don't want him. Not having this man to rule over us. And God will not let that stand forever. God will not let the rejection of his perfect spotless son stand forever. He will be vindicated. He will come and he'll rule with a rod of iron. He'll put everything right. He'll rule righteously and with equity in his wonderful kingdom. Ezekiel's going to tell us all about it. We're not going to be able to look at every detail of it this week, but we're going to enjoy something of it, of this coming kingdom of perfection and purity. And here in chapter one, we're given this wonderful vision. And the closing verse of the chapter it says this, let's just go back. The closing verse of the chapter, what do we see? We see the right reaction of the prophet. We see his worship. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. And then, then and only then, I heard a voice of one that spake. God had to get this man on his face before he would give him a word from heaven. And I wonder if that's me tonight. And I wonder if that's you tonight. God has to get us on our face before he'll speak to us. Get us on our face before him, recognizing something of his glory. And I wonder, what do I really know of the glory of God? And it's quite something, it's quite solemn to, to be here and to have the responsibility to speak to you from Ezekiel chapter 1. When I feel that I'm speaking to you about something that I know very little about. Because I've never seen anything like this. And yet it's wonderful, isn't it, with the Holy Spirit's help to enter into something of an appreciation of the glory of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, and of his Father God. John 1.14, we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen.